All right, everybody, it's time to break down Airbnb's earnings. Yeah, but that's right. We're going to get in deep. We got our Sankey chart. We're looking at the ribbon. We're breaking down the colors. We're yes. talking, uh, we're comparing Airbnb and Uber's market caps since COVID, the massive mm -hmm. rebound for both of those. And of course, talk a little bit about Airbnb fees. Can't help yeah, it. Yeah, that's in the news. Everybody's getting a little upset about those Airbnb fees. And of course, Rachel is back. Rachel's reporting. Producer Rachel with another awesome OK Boomer segment about momfluencers. Apparently, Gen Z is getting preggers, and uh, we're going to see how they uh, share that wonderful, wonderful moment in life on TikTok. It's giving baby. That was that was Gen Z talk. It's going to be a great show. Going to be a great show. Stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Odoo is a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of business apps that lets you build and scale your stack as you build and scale your business. Odoo is now offering all of their award-winning applications, services, and maintenance for under $25. To learn more, go to odoo.com slash twist. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash twist. And Masterworks is the first company allowing investors exposure into the blue chip artwork asset class. Twist listeners can skip the waitlist by going to masterworks.com slash twist. All right, everybody. It's Friday. Welcome to Friday. We made it, Molly. We made it. So what an a interesting week. week. What, what a week. <laughs> what a week. <laughs> and in case you're wondering at home, friends, we're just still we're just still sitting on this one. We're just still no fly zone. A As we show. say, no fly zone. No fly zone right now. No fly zone. We don't need any planes right dropping from the. I don't need anybody reblogging things I'm saying and spinning it. If I've got a comment to make about a specific company that I shouldn't talk about here on the pod. I'll just do it on Twitter, exactly. which is an excellent platform for sharing knowledge you know and having conversations them. in real time. In real time. It's amazing. Uh, we didn't talk about Airbnb's results, and yeah. I love Airbnb, and I love Brian and this yeah. company. I know. And they and had Joe, a the co-founder who just uh, left. Great, 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 great week. Oh, wait, the co-founder just left? Tell me more. Uh, Joe, yeah, he was public about this? that. I think mm. he's going on to uh, Gabby. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, great guy. Uh, I've actually uh, got to know him uh, personally, and uh, he's a really, really extraordinary founder. Uh, and Brian's run the company, and they're doing everything right after their near-death experience. People forget they had a near-death experience, and they did the riff of all riffs during COVID because yep. during lockdowns, revenue went to essentially zero. Pretty much zero. Yeah, pretty much zero. Man, talk My, about scary. Um, there are going to be, there will be future business case studies written on how Airbnb handled the pandemic. And, and they will say, I'm going to predict now that it was effectively perfect. My, um, my ex-husband was working at Airbnb when the pandemic started, got laid off. So I had sort of a front row seat to how they handled the layoffs, how they helped place people in new jobs, how the brand equity of Airbnb helped all those people get new jobs. Like it was a really, it was so remarkably handled. They spun up new products almost overnight. The experience, you know, rolled out the experiences product super broadly, did host management. Like it was just remarkable. And then now uh, reported earnings this week, it was such a busy week and there were so many earnings and there was so much going on that we sort of missed this one. So we want to circle back because Airbnb reported its most revenue and most profitable quarter ever fantastic yeah it's a reopening story as it's we say in the business story. and uh revenue 2.9 billion up 29 percent year over year 
it's truly high, a high growth rate. When we talk about growth stocks, you know, over 15, 20% on a big number uh, is fantastic. And uh, free cash flow. And this is what people are very interested in a down market. You're not going to run out of cash and, and you're showing me the money. Yeah. 960 million, almost a billy in free cash flow. The increase in cash flow was driven by revenue growth and margin expansion. Net income was up 46% year over year to $1.2 billion. And Airbnb said the main reasons for profit growth, going back to our conversation yesterday, increased revenue and disciplined spending. Oh, here it is. A yeah. reoccurring theme. We Keeps talked about this just yesterday back. with Mature Robin. companies, as you yeah. put it. Mature. Mature. Uh, which is what they told me to be uh, when I was a kid. They said, can you just act a little bit more mature? And I said, uh, I don't even know how to spell that word. <laughs> but here you go. Quarterly revenue. Uh, Q3. Let's pull up this quick chart here. Q3 2020 to Q3 2021. You know, really great to see everything going up and to the right. And mm -hmm. then you got your quarterly net income. So this is, this is the dream scenario for investors. The revenue is going up and the income, you know, your bottom line, everything's going up. Feels nice to be an investor and a, and a shareholder, an employee, or a partner or customer of this product because the product gets better. And this is what we call network effects, Molly, as you well know. When you have a marketplace and the network effects kick in, you know, you get more users, you get more hosts, they tell their friends about it. You know, the, the way most people will find out that Airbnb exists as a company is a friend will rent one and then invite people on a family trip or something. Yeah. You've probably experienced this uh, over the last couple of years. We, we experienced it years ago, but the, the public yeah. writ large is experiencing this. You know, these days, you've never heard of Airbnb, you only stay in hotels and uh, one of your millennial Gen X, Gen Z uh, family members rents some beautiful place on Lake Tahoe and invites everybody and they say, how did you get this place? Is it your friend's house? And they say, no, I got it on Airbnb. You say, what's that? And this is really what Air, this is what we called in the business over the shoulder virality. People would do DoorDash or Uber or Lyft or Airbnb. The other person with them experiences it. They get in the Uber, they eat the food from DoorDash uh, or they stay in the Airbnb. And, and real world virality is- That is a new phrase is, for me. I love that. Yeah, it's a real thing. Over the, I think the David over the Sachs came out thing. with it. Yeah. Over the shoulder virality? Over the like shoulder, you peek over someone's yeah. shoulder and you're like, "What is that product?" Basically, what is that? Metaphorically, app? yeah. What, what is you, that? Yeah, app? What is Uber? That we actually over the shoulder came from Travis, and then um, real world uh, network effects came from Sachs, I believe. Uh, he wrote a blog post about it. Here's the market cap of Airbnb and Uber over the last three years. Uh, you look at that dip. You see the dip there, Molly? Wow, that's <laughs> is like identical. Yeah. Look That's at the bananas. The dip, by the way, that we're talking about, if you are not watching us on uh, youtube.com slash this weekend or on Spotify's video beta video product, the dip we're looking at is the arrival of the pandemic, the, the, the almost identical drop at the exact same time in market cap. And then the recovery and frankly, uh, Airbnb recovered much more quickly. Airbnb went public in early 2021, wasn't even public when this happened. Yeah. And you do see actually, interestingly, Airbnb recover a little more quickly. Yeah. Because they were a safer alternative to hotels. Like they were actually able to offer a reopening experience oh, to people. It. I think that, you know, like nobody was quite ready to get in an Uber. Yeah. They were still maybe ordering food. Uh, you know what I think they this weren't was? taking rides. Yeah. I, you might be right in the theory. I think your theory is correct. It might be the second factor. The first factor might be, I believe, 
that Airbnb, because of their riff, was closer to profitability. Mm. And I think what's happened here, in terms of uh, the story is Uber getting very disciplined about profitability. Yeah, I think that's why yeah, they lag. And I think that's why they're soaring now, right? You had that 15% day a couple of days ago when the results came out. I think now people have to believe the story, right? You talk all the time with our founders, you do your storytelling to seed companies, right? What's, what's the key component that you try to teach them about storytelling when we, we do that at Founder University or the Launch Accelerator? That it has to be as crisp and straightforward as possible. Simplicity. Clear over clarity. Yeah, simplicity. Got it. I think that's be clear. Wise. It's better to be clear than clever every single time. I like it. So when a founder is telling their story, you don't need to use buzzwords. You need to have clarity, be concise, and make it easy to understand and believe the story. Just like a movie. And with Uber, I don't believe that Wall Street or many people believe the story, we can be profitable on a unit economic basis. Now, why didn't they believe that story? Well, because they were losing money on a unit economic basis for a decade. And so to be like told, a lot, like a billion dollar a quarter. Yeah, I mean, it was amount. literally and they and no and Amazon had the same problem. This can never be a profitable business. Amazon, you know, people like this, you know, delivering books can never work. Of course, they found AWS. And they found Amazon Prime. And those two things together change the story. Uber paying $36 an hour to drivers growing in a recession ish environment, throwing off free cash flow, Airbnb throwing off free cash flow, people embracing these products and making them part of their day to day lives, especially the younger generations who have embraced these products and services. I think people believe the story and the story is people will pay more per ride, people will pay more per delivery of food, people will pay uh, and there'll be plenty of inventory for Airbnbs and people will pay a pretty penny to stay in an Airbnb, probably prices that are similar to hotels. It used to be the story yeah. was you save money on an Airbnb. Now the thing is, it's more fun to stay in an Airbnb. Y you get more for your dollar. Not that it's cheaper, but you get more for your dollar. I, is, is that the value proposition you think now for Airbnb? I think it. Yeah, I think it was for a while. You know, we have and we talked about this on the show where I was saying like, I think this I think Airbnb has went through a little bit of a reputation dip recently. Like you saw a lot of people complaining about the fees and the uh, the the kind of that the that the fees were sort of hidden and cleaning fees were too high. And it was a it was a kind of a golden opportunity, I think, for hotels to have capitalized on that weakness and for them to say, we uh, offer this really easy experience. You don't have to cook for yourself. Like you don't have to pay a cleaning fee. That's part of the thing. And, I, you know, you and I talked about it briefly. And I was like, honestly, I'm starting to like staying in a hotel. Like, I just want to be taken care of. And I don't want to cook and clean and whatever. But hotels, you know, be through a combination of sort of like, I think, trying to save money and not being able to hire and keeping a lot of COVID restrictions in place, because I suspect it saved them a lot of money. Missed the boat. Like, I think hotels did not hotels had an, an opportunity to level up and take a ton of market share from Airbnb. And they didn't. However, you do see Airbnb. The only downside in this earnings report was that their guidance heading into Q4 was like not what the market wanted. You know, they projected between 1.8 billion and 1.88 billion in Q4, which it would have been 17% and 23% year over year growth, which again, in just markets being ridiculous is great. 
23% year over year growth is great, but it's not what investors were hoping to see. So the stock was down 10%. I think any dip in Airbnb's growth at this point is because of that reputation hit around fees and the increasing availability of hotels. Like there's still to me a question. And, and I mean that as a consumer, like I'm finding it easier to stay in a hotel. My kid and I are talking about going to New York for like in between Christmas and New Year's. And he's like, can we stay in a hotel? It's just so nice. And I was huh. like, that's very telling from that's the consumer telling. perspective. Yeah, he wants a room service. He, he just wants a pool. He does. Looking for a better way to manage your company without tons of expensive, disconnected software? Then you need Odoo. Odoo is an affordable, all-in-one management software with a massive suite of fully integrated applications designed to handle any unique business need. Sounds great, right? Well, it gets even better. Odoo is now offering all of their award-winning application services and maintenance for under $25. That's right. For less than $25, bucks, you will get 100% of Odoo for 90% less than the average market price. And Odoo is much more than a world-famous ERP, Enterprise Resource Planner. Odoo has over 80 applications for everything your company will need. We're talking CRM, marketing, accounting, manufacturing, inventory, you name it, Odoo's got it. So as your business grows and your needs change, Odoo will be there every step of the way with dozens of user-friendly solutions to choose from, and you get it all for under $25. To learn more, go to odoo.com slash twist. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash twist. Get more done in less time for a fraction of the price with Odoo. We've become a fan of these ribbon charts by uh, this company, App Economy, I guess. They're oh, yeah, doing some sort do of it. chart thing. The Airbnb to, one is great. I forgot the name of this. We, every time we do this, I call it a ribbon chart. It's not a ribbon chart. There was some guy who oh, yeah, made a chart based name. on a steam engine. And uh, we then spend 10 minutes on Google trying to remember the name of this. A, a Sankey, <laughs> Sankey chart. Sankey. Here's the Sankey chart. Revenue 2.9 billion. Cost of revenue 0.48, gross profit 2.5, operating profit goes cut in half to 1.2, operating expenses 1.3, and your net profit 1.2 there. International 1.7, United States 1.2 billion. Fascinating that international is 50% bigger. That's that sticks out at me. Anything else in this uh, Sankey chart stick out to you? Well, this is kind of a dumb question. So, is Airbnb not profitable? Wait, gross, uh, no. yeah, so they Net have an profit operating the profit of 1.2 billion, yep. operating expenses of 1.3 billion. So the gross profit is two and a half billion. Sometimes I look at this chart and I'm like, but the red extends past the green. No, <laughs> going to the right, you get that, right? And then on the left, it's a little confusing because they make it red as well. But those aren't losses. It's just a breakdown of the revenue. It's just a breakdown. So of the when revenue. you go left yeah, I got you. on this chart, it's, hey, how did that break down? And so if this was the Amazon chart, it would be, oh, you know what's interesting here? This uh, Sankey chart. They're using the Airbnb color, which is like a reddish. Mm-hmm. And it's not burgundy. What is color. it? It's pinkish red? Yeah, it's like a, I, yeah, it's kind of PG coral. It's like coral. Oh, coral. You're right. That makes sense. So they're just using coral to go left. Uh, in Uber, they might use blue or, or something. But uh, yeah, so that's you find that go slightly left confusing. on the revenue. It breaks it down thing, by unit. Yeah. The other thing what stands note, out to you, though, yeah. is that those fees I mentioned are highly correlated to Airbnb's profitability. So for all the people who hate it, like that's not going away. And if anything, there were some tweets, you know, when people were freaking out about it, I think Brian Chesky was tweeting about how they're trying to figure out how to present the fees like redesign the fees so that they don't upset customers so much, but they're not going away. Another interesting thing 
Yeah, they, 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 listen, everybody's going to complain about fees. Yeah, the, the rent's too high. Why do I got to pay for water and bread at the restaurant? Everybody's got to complain it. about it's prices. Roll it in. It is what it is. Everybody relax. Everybody's got to relax. This is my piece of advice. Everybody's getting a little too crazy about things. Exactly. Like you all look right, at let's, a price let's, yeah, let's and make then sure. all of a sudden your price is like a trillion dollars more because right. fees don't show up until the end. It's a, it is a design and presentation problem. Okay, that's a bait and that switch they've ignored then. for a long time. It's a, okay, switch. I feel it. It feels baity switchy. I think that's a good point, producer Nick. Leave that in. I'll give you credit for that one, producer Nick. So it's a, it's a, it's a design issue. You get banged, you get walloped at the end with a 25 or 20% gets added at the end. So you're, you're, you're searching, you see 199, you pay and you see what plus 20 Molly. Yeah. Nick? feels like Ticketmaster or more. I mean, it could yeah. even be more oh, that than that. It might be like a $75 a night cleaning fee. You know I mean? It gets. Oh man. <laughs> Try buying pretty, Warriors tickets and you get all of a sudden hit with like 30% tax or something. Yeah. And you're like, what just happened? I get what they're doing. It's maybe they got to rethink it a bit. Yeah, that's all. I think they are. I mean, literally, Brian Chesky was like, we're working on that. And then someone was like, it's taken you three years to figure out how to present your fees in a way that doesn't piss off all your customers. I mean, I get it there. They'll get get it. I mean, this would be like taking an Uber if they told you the ride was 10 bucks. And then they're like, and Uber's fee is 25%. And so it's now at 13. You'd be like, oh, wait a second. Just show me the real price. And you go and you stay at an Airbnb. Mm hmm. And now I'm just getting on my high horse about it. But all the rules are the same as a hotel. You have to like check in after four, which I'm sorry, is BS. Like if I pay you for a day and I only get six hours of awake time or whatever, that doesn't, that's not a day. So you have to check in after 12, right? And then you have to leave. Yeah. So it's four till 12, right? So So 20 hours, 20 hours. I never like that. I think it should be different. So Airbnb has all the same rules as hotels. You got to check in after four. You got to check out at 11. They're, they're constantly telling you, you have to clean up before you go. Like you got to strip your own beds and you got to do the dishes and you got to take the trash out. But there's also a cleaning fee on top of that, that I didn't find out about. Yeah, this that is I never why I'm like, either. you know what? I like hotels. I think that's a little weird. I, the, that's a God, vestige of it being like a mom and pop, not even a mom and pop. Like it's my extra bedroom. So just be cool and, you know, don't right. leave a mess. Right. But now if it's going to become on par with a hotel, you do have to like, make the experience on par with a hotel, which should be, I don't have to take my stuff off the bed. I like to as a service to the person to let them know, like if I rent a four bedroom, I use two or three, I always take the sheets and put them on the floor, or pull them off all the way so that they know that these are dirty sheets, because I, I do think that's like courteous. And I like to put the towels on the floor as well to let yeah. people know. And this is if they don't have a laundry basket. Of course, I use a laundry basket, but nobody has those in hotels or anything. Right. Um, anyway, yeah, it, like, this is I just, elite. This one that I just stayed at, I cannot believe the list of rules and things that you had to do and the reduction in kind of the hours that I was actually paying for. And then a clean, you know, you can see why people are, and it's, you know what it is? It's that familiarity breeds contempt. Like we're yes. getting, we now know about Airbnb, lots of people use it and we're finding the things that we don't like about it, but we still love it as evidenced by they're booming. They should let return. hosts have alternative hours. This would be a really big win. So the host should say, standard hours, check in at four like a hotel, leave at 12. However, if it's not booked up, make a request and pick your own 20 hours. Pick your own 20 hour window. So you want to do 12 to 8 a.m. That's fine too. You want to get in at 12, leave at eight, we'll make it work. 
that kind of flexibility would be a really cool thing. Now, when you have, I'm on Bonvoy Gold, and they always give me late checkout, which I think my checkout is one, two, or three o'clock. And also, awesome. like, as a white guy traveling for business, whenever I ask for anything, they just give it to me. And then <laughs> if my wife goes down as a Korean woman and she asks for it, they don't even talk to her or look her in the eyes. It's really infuriating for me. I have to tell you, I don't want to make this about like uh, Asian hate or race or something like that. Uh, we literally, it should Molly, be infuriating. Yeah, it's, it's infuriating to me yeah. because, well, because I also have three daughters who, who look Korean more than they look Caucasian. And I know they're going to go through this BS. We have to, when we have a service request, my wife, well, wife and I strategize, you got to make the service request because they're just going to look at me as an Asian woman and they're just going to, they won't even look you in the eye. They're going to be perturbed that you're asking for anything. I don't know if it happens to white women as well. I don't want to make this like about race. It's no, kind it of outside the scope does. of this week. Like it definitely, but. probably not. There's probably like, there's a higher percentage of it happening to your wife than it is for me, but a hundred percent. I mean, our producer, Rachel's like, oh no, you always ask. My boyfriend was wondering, or my dad would like. Is that, oh, is that the hack? <laughs> my dad. <laughs> Invoke a dude a to back you up. I mean, it's so lame. Ugh. I can't tell you that. I mean, the number of times it's, this has happened where yeah. I'm like, my wife asked for a late checkout and she's in an argument. And I'm like, just hang up the phone. I'm going to go to the front desk. I go to the front desk. You, you know how I say it? Hi, what's your name? Oh, Molly. Molly. Hi, I'm Jason Calacatis. I'm a gold member. I've stayed at this hotel. I've stayed at Marriott over a hundred times in the past three years. I'd like a late checkout. I know normally it's two. I'd like 4 p.m. Can you let me know if this is possible? Because it would be very important to me. And they look at me, Mr. Calacanis, I'll get you an answer right yeah. away. One minute. I come up there like I own the place. Now, I don't yeah. say it in an obnoxious way, but I just put it straight out there of what my expectation is. I am one of your great customers. I have a million Bonvoy points. I'm gold, whatever it is. This is what I'm asking for. And I'm very gracious about it. I said it a little bit more. I'm, I say it a lot nicer. Oh, you yeah, know, I was like, that's pretty aggressive. I hate to destroy. I'll leave it. At, yeah. Oh, hate, hate, hate to be a bother. Mm -hmm. I'm a gold member. I've stayed here a hundred times in the last three years because it shows you that in the Bonvoy. I've got over a million Bonvoy points. Uh, if it's not too much trouble, I got an important business call. Uh, can I keep the room till four? And I'll be out four on the dot. Uh, would really appreciate it if you can get back to me quick because I got to jump on that call. And so I'm just coming down there and I'm just setting the expectation that we're in this together. Mm -hmm. You know, like I'm a great customer. You're a great hotel chain, Bonvoy. I'm loyal to Bonvoy. I'm, I don't want to give them a free commercial here, but I love that brand. I love that app. I was SPG. I just signed up for the business credit card where now I get like 60,000 oh. points and Oof. I got they and, and just the having the card Oof. now they made me gold. Oof, it's so I good. I, I super stoked. advise you. I don't usually do that. But when they get the right points offer, I'm in. I advise you. I, I don't go Ken on them. I'm not going carrying Ken. I'm walking in. Well, it's funny because you're saying that it's it. Your assumption is in some ways it's related to your style and the way that you're requesting it. But that's only like, that's like 20% of it. 80% of it is that you walked up as the white guy. White business travel. And then 20% is travel. how you CEO. protected it. I walk you know? up like a CEO. Right. Right. Like I own the joint. I walk right. up like I own the joint. I mean, I could walk up like I own the joint too, but it won't and they'd be the like Karen. They'll be like, mm. you don't own the joint lady. Literally, you walk up and they go like this. Oh, Karen. Let me get some food. Yeah, exactly. Are you going to freak out? I need to feed my TikTok. Because apparently <laughs> I have a super to freak Karen, out on me? Apparently I have a super Karen haircut. <laughs> no. All right, let's do... Um, Your haircut I have, is... <laughs> I, this is the best... I've known you for 20 years. This is the best haircut you've ever had. Whatever they did with that razor, I know it's it great. must it's be... It's great. My guy is freaking good. 
I, got I watched this thing on TikTok. Have you got have you got the TikTok yet? <laughs> I do have the TikTok. It's, this is an incredible <laughs> app. Um, this guy has a woman in her hair. And I'm like, what is this video? Woman's laying and there's a butcher block in her hair, like when your hair was long, is on the butcher block. And all of a sudden he lifts like a what's like a meat cleaver. And what? he starts whacking her hair. Bang, Stop. bang, bang. And, mm -hmm. and he's like chopping it like like, like he's Tyler Florence, you know, cutting like tomatoes or something. He's just chopping this hair. And then all of a sudden, like in within 60 seconds, she gets up and she does the little like hair toss and boom, her hair looks unbelievable. I think that might have been stunt slightly, maybe. maybe. I don't know, but they're really good at making stuff compelling like that on the TikTok turns out. <laughs> it was like a chopping block haircut. It's <laughs> terrifying. I, actually, I literally just typed in chopping block haircut. Pull this up, Nick or Rachel. It's a thing. It is. Oh my god! And then I, I let's... mean, Google it right now. All right, chopping block haircut. So this is the kind of stuff that they're doing here. Everything is content. This is the oh, actual. Oh my this god! Is... This is so hard to watch. Oh, I see, because it makes like almost like a little yeah razor layer. Oh Jesus! Well, look, now oh, he's doing the feathering or whatever I that see. is. He's doing the feathering. I cannot even fathom how freaking sharp that like machete. I mean, thing this must made be. me very nervous. I'm so nervous watching this. And then boom, I'm in. <gasps> amazing. I mean, I kind of, okay, I mean, fun. I may grow out my hair to get this. It'll take two years, but all right, fun. let's move on. Sorry, everybody. All right, let's do it. Okay, <laughs> Boomer, coming up next Friday. It's a Friday show. All right. Okay, listen, we've all seen the IPO market slow to a crawl. And according to IPO research firm, Renaissance Capital in 2022 IPOs are on track to raise the least amount of money in 30 years, which makes sense. You get the inflation, you got the geopolitical stuff, we got a volatile stock market, but financial institutions can't just roll over and take these losses. So here's what they're doing differently. According to McKinsey, institutional investors are now allocating between 30 and 50% of their assets to alternatives. You know what alternative investing is? It's not stocks. It means real estate, precious metals, private companies, and even fine art. And Morgan Stanley reported that in the first five months of 2022, the average piece of fine art sold for 26 more at auction compared to 2021. And if you want to diversify into fine art, but you don't have millions of dollars lying around, you need to check out Masswork. They have over 500,000 members and over 700 million in securitized paintings. And they break up each piece of art into shares, so you can invest for a fraction of the cost. I've done this two or three times now. You can skip the waitlist and join Masterworks today. Just sign up at masterworks.com slash twist. That's masterworks.com slash twist to skip the waitlist. See important regulation A disclosures at masterworks.com slash CD. All right, you know, uh, it's Friday. Friday. Yay. Yay. Friday after a long, somebody earned a weekend off. <laughs> it's no weekend <laughs> off. <laughs> I still got to work. Um, <laughs> But good work. Learning a lot. So uh, let's leave it at that. Uh, yeah. But where's Rachel reporting? Where's Rachel? Yeah, we reporting? got Rachel reporting with OK hey Boomer. There she is. Yes. So this was a really special uh, recording I had. I actually had one of my longest friends on. And the reason I had her on was she recently had a kid. And I was like, wow, that's so interesting. Not only because I don't feel old enough yet to have kids, but I was thinking about it. We actually have had another guest find out that she was pregnant since being on our show, uh, Nicole Perez, back on episode 1459. She's been tweeting about it. Really interesting. Summer has an entire career built on the internet. She is an influencer with more than half a million followers. 
And I wanted to ask her, how do you think our generation will be treating putting our children online and sharing their lives on the internet? And how will that differ mm. from the prior uh, generation? So Freaking really cool talk. Fascinating. After so I interesting. Hold myself up off the floor upon realizing that Gen Z is now old enough to have children. Yeah. Um, the fact that Gen Z is also it. becoming like mom fluencer is fascinating. The, ev- the evolution of the parenting influencer. What a great freaking topic, Rachel. Zombies. Yeah. They're becoming zombies. Ooh, zombies. That's zombies. interesting. Zombies. Yeah, That's Gen funny. Z mommies. That's, so a Gen Z right good, now actually. is like in their 20s, right? I guess is what we would... Yeah, so she's, she's probably about 25 now. Mm-hmm. And I think my mom had me before then or right around when she was 25. Mm-hmm. I just don't feel old enough like I could have. I could, don't even think I keep a goldfish around right now. But it's been really cool seeing her journey. But I guess like the only thing I have to like compare it to would be like those mommy bloggers or mommy YouTubers. Um, but I have never really seen somebody who's had like their entire life on the internet, like Summer has, who mm-hmm. she ha- has never had another job other than, um, you know, promoting clothing and doing influencing on the internet. I'm like, how does that like totally shift your thought about sharing your child's life? Like that must make some kind of impact. Wow. So Summer Rachel Warren coming up next with OK Boomer. I am fascinated by this. I cannot wait to listen. It's actually interesting, Molly, when you think about it. Uh, Gen X, we had yeah. mommy bloggers. Yep. Uh, then we had millennials and we had YouTube mommy vloggers. Mm-hmm. And now we have Gen Z and they are TikTok moms. Yeah. Commerce or Zomers. <laughs> Tickomers. I don't know. Mom, it's, but well, it's really interesting how the platforms correlate and the, and the, the video, the, the blogging video and short form video are now going to correlate with moms sharing their experience. Absolutely. You know what? It's, uh, Molly, you might have uh, experienced this. Uh, making a baby and being a mom is there's a lot of things to discuss. Oh, yeah. And I mean, so it's a it's very sing- like the genre will never go away, right? Because the there is it's a singular experience. Of course, there is a ton to talk about. There's a lot to buy, <laughs> not mm. to make it mercenary. Um, but I think this question of like, the the zero boundary now between your mm. online life and your offline life when it involves your there was controversy about mommy bloggers. Remember when that first started? Oh, it would be time. like you're talking about your oversharing, yeah. oversharing, and now it's like there's no, I I don't know. There's mm. there's no offline for these no. babies. It's really interesting. Can't wait to listen. All right, let's listen. Thanks, Rachel. Okay, Boomer. I understood the assignment. Thank you so much, Summer, for joining me on this segment of OK Boomer. This is a very special segment for me because Summer and I actually went to middle school together. I've known Summer for a really long time and I'm an army brat, so don't have a lot of those friends. Um, So this is really, really cool. Summer has half a million followers on TikTok. She is an influencer on TikTok and Instagram, mostly covering the fashion space. And she's also a new mom. And I want to talk about both of those things today. So thank you, Summer. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad we're doing this. So half a million, that is a ton. You also have like 130,000 followers plus on Instagram. So crazy. And the reason why I wanted to have you on today is I'm realizing that my friends are starting to have kids and a lot of them, which is really cool. But We are the first generation of people that really grew up online. And I think we're going to start treating how we put our own children online a little bit differently than our parents. And from the nature of your job, where you're constantly online and you're a new parent, I feel like you're going to be a subject matter expert at this. 
And I think we should back up before we dive into what it's like being a mom and um, having your life online to how has it been being a full-time influencer? Like this is a fairly new career. How did you get into the space? How long has it been? And give us the rundown. Yeah, no, it definitely is new. There's like really no guidelines or any public really like rules about our job at all. Like we don't have HR if something's going on. Um, and we don't really have anyone to lean on when it comes to problems or just, you know, like asking for appropriate wages or being paid correctly. So it is a difficult industry to navigate being um, so new. But um, I basically got into it working at a it's a social media PR. It was it's called the Mayfair Group. It's this whole like crazy startup they didn't really know what they were in the beginning but they turned into a big merch company and um i was a part of their social sector and i met other influencers there and they were all just like kind of just not gossiping but i would just overhear you know them talking about oh princess polly just paid me like seven thousand dollars to make a video and i was like seven thousand dollars <laughs> like yeah i was like i couldn't even fathom seven hundred dollars when i was in college this was 2019 like this was before the pandemic like i honestly i really didn't understand money or numbers and i still am figuring it out now as an adult but you know in college like a hundred dollars like seems like enough to get by when it comes to like food and you know you spend most of your money on alcohol like you don't really have yeah. priorities well at least I didn't. Some people do in college. <laughs> but like I heard $7,000 and I was like, how? Like, how did you even get that brand to send you clothes in the first place? And like these girls would walk into the office wearing brand new clothes, the latest trends. And I loved it. I love fashion. I studied fashion. So to combine social media and fashion was really cool to me. I'm a huge creative. So I was making videos for the Mayfair group. And then they were contracting like other boutiques, other brands that needed help with their social media pages, like their Instagrams. TikTok wasn't around really um, just yet. And they needed like girls to create, you know, user generated content and make it seem like their brand was kind of the hype. And I realized, oh, well, why don't I just do this on my own Instagram and TikTok instead of doing it for, you know, a company who gets paid way more like cut out the middleman why don't i just do it directly to the brand so that's what i did i did the internship pro bono didn't get paid at all worked like a dog yeah learned the ins and outs and then you know just picked up like tips along the way like how to charge how much to charge who's paying what brands are actually paying what brands don't and um i got emails from other girls like i really did some digging and it takes a lot of like socializing and network to really make your way through this very secretive industry. Yeah. It's super interesting hearing you talk about your path because obviously like this isn't something that you're necessarily applying to over on LinkedIn. Like you said, this is basically being a um like a small business owner, um freelancing. It's like I see that like EB even that those two sectors being even more similar to being an influencer than like a traditional job. And it's always interesting to me when people knock influencing as a career because it says it kind of in the name. They're like, it's not a job. I'm like, okay, let's think about this like critically really quick. So it's you're influencing. You're literally influencing to sell something. 
we don't knock on people that do sales and being an influencer is literally influencing somebody to buy something. Like this is just a new sector of sales that we're getting into. Obviously it's working. There wouldn't be that many people making this much money if it wasn't working. Um, So this is a new space that navigating, like you said, is really, really difficult. Um, And I've heard about things going around. Um, We had Natalie Babaru on the podcast, who's a YouTuber turned founder. And she um, has explained to me before that there is like things like Google Sheets that go around saying how much um, people get paid. It's just really interesting hearing about that side of things and navigating industry where, like you said, it's pretty secretive. Yeah, it's very secretive. And I mean, yeah, I've heard some ideas, you know, finding out like trying to find middle ground when it comes to rates. And it gets very competitive, you know, like you'll hear another girl got the same deal as you, you know, she had to do one post and three Instagram stories. And so did you, but you have a more, you have a bigger following than she does. And then you think like, oh, am I, you know, am I not good enough? Like, why did she get paid more? And it really goes down to like these PR or these like influencer relations girls only, it's usually girls. Um, they only get a max budget from the brand that they work for. They get like, let's say $24,000 to spend on a certain campaign. Like they have to spread that out amongst like their favorite influencers. And it it's just kind of sometimes boils down to like getting like the scraps sometimes because they just, you know, reach out to you last or their biggest influencer that they really wanted for the campaign asked for like 80% of their budget and they really wanted them. It really just depends sometimes. And it also really depends on like who's trending at the time because there's always an influencer who's got their moment and um, they're going to be just like on every single campaign. Like people are just going to be asking for them. But um, it is tough just knowing that there really isn't any like middle ground. I think it's honestly because it's a female dominated industry. Like I hate to be like, oh, it's because, you know, men get paid more. Men have more like saying things. But I have definitely felt in like rooms, even virtual rooms where I don't have much say solely because like I'm a girl and I, I feel scared to even ask for what my worth is and i think if this was a male dominated industry it would be no question it wouldn't be like oh influencing isn't a real job it would just be like yeah that's a man doing his job but when it comes to females because we use our beauty we use sometimes our bodies sometimes you know our bodies and our brains like our looks all come together in this i think that really upsets a lot of people because that's almost a privilege to have like not everyone can use their looks and make money with at the same time so i definitely see where people come from when they get kind of bothered by influencers but the way i look at it is we all we're all gifted at something we've all gonna like make money off of some talent that we have and if that's someone's talent using their body modeling like i see nothing wrong with it yeah you see people that are influencers ranging a little bit more than you see like the traditional fashion industry, I think, in what they look like in body types. And I think a person that highlighted the industry and people struggling in the industry and bringing light certain issues that happen that I, as somebody that doesn't work in that space, um, was the controversial TikToker, Victoria Paris, has spoken about um, time and time again about how ma- she's like, I'm a skinny white woman on the internet. This is why I get sent this stuff. And 
it's so interesting like hearing somebody who is at the top of a lot of influencing um obviously there's like emma chamberlain another skinny white woman who is up there is probably like the person that i've seen the most and she might be the most popular influencer the um one on the male side i guess would probably be like mr beast i mean even seeing um you know the two different spectrums of them i think is just really interesting and i think being a woman in a room especially a room of men that get to dictate how much um, money is on the table happens a lot with female founders as well i've never been in the room um and i've never worked in an industry where my paycheck was determined about like what i wore that day um how much content i made out of it i've always worked like kind of in this space i can see how female founders like also struggle being like i how do you even approach a conversation sometimes and maybe not even just female founders this could be a young founder somebody that doesn't an inexperienced person in the space like how do you even go about having those conversations like there's no rule book and there probably won't be somebody that makes a rule book on that for a very long time and i think that's um an important conversation to have especially when it's like your your livelihood and yeah. another huge aspect of your life that i want to touch on today is you are, um, like I said, you obviously make a living online. This is your full-time job. It has been out of college, which is awesome. Now you have a wonderful daughter that I had the pleasure of meeting a few weeks ago, which was crazy. It's so awesome. Um, and the thing that really inspired me to have you on the podcast was a former guest that was on episode 1459. She's also around our age. Her name is Nicole. She has since found out that she was pregnant, which is great. And she's been tweeting about her journey. And some stuff that she says, I'm like, wait, what the heck? Like, I didn't, I didn't know any of this. Like, one of the things that she tweeted was like, okay, where's like the Gen Z maternity clothes? Because me and my husband are expecting and I don't want to wear skinny jeans for the entire time of my pregnancy. Like, this just isn't in like, I, I'm not going to wear light wash skinny jeans. Like, this just is not my style. And the only thing that's offered for me are these and oversized shirts. And I was like, okay, that's like an issue that like, you're not being able to express yourself, I think would be um frustrating and i know she works from an office so that must be hard and then also just um seeing how she's like approaching like she's tweeting about her pregnancy that wasn't an option for a lot of people you know a few years ago so not only how you're presenting like your kids online but how you're presenting like your pregnancy online like she's very very open about being like a a professional and i don't think her tweeting about being pregnant is hurting her career in any way and maybe that's different i'm not sure because i'm her age as well so i didn't have any other peers that were you know I guess, posting about their pregnancy like her beforehand, except for you. Do you think how you are going to approach um, putting photos of your daughter online or anything like that is, will be, will that be any different than how our parents maybe did it? Or even how people that are like millennials, like one generation above us did it? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think pregnancy itself has like evolved very much thanks to Gen Z moms. I honestly debate this a lot, as I've told you before, like, don't know what's too much because my partner believes in like the evil eye and he's taught me a lot about it. And I've just never really, I mean, I've heard of the evil eye, but I was like, I don't really know what exactly that is. And it's just like, there is like people out there, there are people that are kind of wishing like poor outcomes on you or like poor just like things to happen to you if you're doing really well and like showing that on social media and almost like bragging about it. And I've actually gotten a lot of DMs too of people who believe in the evil eye asking me like, aren't you scared? Like, don't post your baby like of her eyes and her face because she's so young and 
babies are so pure, you know, they're like literally untouched. And it's very interesting. There's two, it's very a polarizing topic, obviously. And I also, my partner brought my attention the other day. Um, I don't know if you've heard of this digital kidnapping. Have you heard of that? Is that when they steal babies' identities? It's, I, I think so. It's where like, like catfish with baby photos. Basically, but these people like pretend that your baby is their baby. Interesting. So they give them like a new name and then they use pictures of that the babies that you like the pictures that you posted, like even Photoshop your baby's face into pictures with them, like all this crazy stuff. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And I literally deleted like all my pictures of my baby's face on the off the Internet because I was like, if that's a real thing, like that's so disturbing. Like and there's popular creators, um, you know, I cannot remember her name for the life of me. She has like two identical twins. Yes. Do you know um, what I'm talking about? Vodka and scotch. Violet, Violet and, and... Yeah, but what's yeah, your mom's name? Oh, um, Michaela? No, vodka. Let me see. Oh my vodka. gosh. It's like Okay, the, the babies' aren't, names aren't vodka and scotch. They're called Violet and Scout, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, Maya Knight. Maya, Maya Knight. Knight. Okay, Maya okay. Knight's the name of the mom. But yeah, yeah Scout and Violet. Blew I get up. those all the time on my... They're the cutest little twin babies ever. And they're um, so cute. Yeah. But it's like, we look at it and we're like, oh my God, cute babies. Like, it's so pure. And then we're like, oh, what else are they up to? You know, scroll, scroll, scroll. Yeah. And then I go on about my day. But it's like, what else are other people doing with those videos of these yeah. babies? You know? And then I've, I don't know, I've like, because my FYP kind of, you know, obviously tailors to some of the things I've seen. Or some of the things I kind of just like watch for a long time because they bring me in. I've seen like weird videos about like these Reddit like threads about kids and it gets weird. Like there's a dark side of the web. So it's really dangerous, you know, where you wouldn't bring your kids around people that would make them uncomfortable, right? You would keep them away, especially from strangers that are doing strange things that are like that have strange behavior, you would Mm -hmm. keep your kid away from that in real life. So why aren't we doing that online? Because we think like, oh, you know, like I share everything I love. I share my dog. I share my breakfast. I share my outfits. I get that. But then it's like, well, these kids don't, they're not at the age of consent. You know, like you as an adult are able to be like, please don't post that online. You know, I'm sure you are like, hey, don't post that picture of me with a drink or something. You know, like, I can't do that for my job versus me. Like, I can do really anything. Like, my life is my job. So that's where the problem lies that I think with these parents that are also influencers, they don't really know where to draw the line. And I'm not saying that they're wrong. I'm not saying Maya Knight is wrong. Like, I think she takes great care of her kids. She's talked about those Reddit pages that kind of take her down. And I believe she, you know, protects her children, but who knows where it's going to go in like 10 years mm-hmm. when they're 18. Yeah. And it, it's really scary to think about. We have no idea. Yeah. And your content obviously is like still, it's not like all content about your kid. Like you're, you're not out here um, in any way, like exploiting your daughter or anything like your, right. your content is still very much about fashion. And it's interesting hearing you say like it, uh, that like photos with like her eyes in it or something that could, um, you know, maybe trace back to like her identity. And it's like, where does the the line, you know, start and end here? Like, are we, is it okay for us to start posting 
photos of our kids as long as we don't put their face in it, like how Dax Shepard from Armchair Expert, like another really popular podcast does. Like he posts photos of his kids, but he puts emojis over their faces. It's like, is that okay? Or should it be like some other um, like celebrities or influencers? Because I think celebrities probably had to deal with this first with people, you know, exploiting photos of their children. Um, should we just like not include them in any photos? But then, you know, you're you're not really sharing like your your whole life on the internet and with a lot of people that are our age. Um, not only is that like their career, but they grew up sharing their whole life on the internet. It's it's interesting seeing people like, starting to approach this, mm-hmm. and I think um, being pregnant was almost taboo. It must have been because I have barely any photos of my mom pregnant. Barely. And my mom was pregnant a million to 10 times. I am one of a million siblings. I didn't see any photos of my mom pregnant either, which is so weird to think about. And now I have tweets of Nicole tweeting out her pregnancy, which is so cool. And I'm learning things that I never knew. I didn't know trimesters weren't equal lengths until she tweeted it. Like, I'm learning stuff all the time from her content. Um, You posted photos, obviously. You still model clothing when you were pregnant. And it's like, hmm, like how we're approaching pregnancy um, in our generation is also just extremely different. Um. Mm -hmm. Do you think that is a trend that was like brought on by Gen Z and our generation? Or do you think anybody at any generation is now more um, accepting of posting their pregnancies and things like that online because of how popular social media has gotten? Honestly, I think it's the latter, you know, with social media being so popular, like we take pictures of ourselves like every day, like you. We have so many photos. Like, it's just so normal to constantly share what we're up to. And, like, the influencer industry obviously opened up that, like, box, like Pandora's box of just sharing everything. And I think, I think it's really empowering. I think it's great of like evolution for women. We're kind of like taking power of our, like, over our pregnancies and sharing everything because honestly everybody kind of makes pregnancy before i got pregnant like i feel like people really painted out to be some like glamorous and like beautiful feminine like like journey and it is but it's also like one of the worst journeys ever it obviously there's balance in everything there's pros and cons to everything but i think like a lot of women like our moms just didn't take pictures because well, one, you gain like weight, you know, your skin changes, you break out sometimes, you're in pain a lot, like you, your body is just transforming. And I think there's just a little bit of shame in that. And it's like, usually you just took pictures at like your best moments. Yeah. And now I think it's cool how we've kind of like evolved and shown like the good and the bad. So everybody's aware of the experience and what it's like so we don't just like keep dusting things under the rug and being like oh yeah by the way like that's also going to happen to you but you're already like two trimesters in so deal with it you know so i I think it's positive i like where it's going um but i i think we should just focus on like the mother's journey more so than the kids I think we should protect the kids. Like even I'm kind of realized coming into this realization as we're speaking, like I think what was so cool about sharing my pregnancy is like, I just felt really powerful. Like this is my experience. This is my choice and I'm going to share and educate everyone. And um, like, we're taking this journey together, but like, it was about me. But then once you give birth, it's like, no one really cares about the mom anymore. They're all like very hyper-focused on the baby. And I get why, because babies are, 
amazing. <laughs> I love them, you know, but yeah. once, but like I said, we kind of have to protect them because like they are so pure. We, we don't know what they're going to think in 18 yeah. years. Like they might be really upset that everything was out there. And I would hate for my kid to like come to that realization and feel like I didn't like protect them or even ask about yeah. their opinion. Yeah. You, you can't get, it's like almost like when you see people, I always see like, really horrible situations where it's like oh this person was like recording me on the subway and i didn't want to be asked and i um since moving to new york i've been really really cautious like i won't and i try really hard to not take photos like of people um even if you see like a famous person i'm always like this isn't um not appropriate but like i don't have their consent if i'm not going up to this person say like i saw chloe cherry from um euphoria um which was really cool i know and i was like yo this is so sick but she was walking kind of ahead of me and I couldn't catch up to be like, oh my gosh, like, that's really cool. And say hi. Not, I don't even know if I would have, honestly, because I was probably nervous. But um, I was like, oh, this would be really cool to take a photo of. But I don't have her consent to take a photo. And it's something that like I have to think about. Um, and I feel like I don't I don't have a child. But it's interesting because like you you can't get consent from a baby. Like they can't talk yet. They don't know. Yeah. Um, so it really does. I don't know. When you think of it like consent. I mean, I like, asked oh. my... I. I asked my partner, like, can I yeah. post this? You know, but that's because, like, I have 130,000 people mm-hmm. that could potentially see what I'm posting and totally. then send it to someone that he knows. Like, it's just, or, like, find out where he's at. You know, what if he, you know, told someone, like, he was too busy, you know, to hang out and then yeah. he's, like, out with me. Like, it's just an invasion of privacy, almost. Like, yeah. I... Like, my parents never went through my diary. They never, like, went into my room without, like, knocking and slowly coming in. Like, I feel like it's kind of the same thing, you know? But we think it's just, like, really sweet because it's, like, kind of sharing your dog. Like, oh, my God, my dog looks so cute today, you know? But it's it's so... Humans are so complex, like, and I think we just think babies are so freaking cute. And I totally get it. And no shame to any moms listening to this that want to continue sharing their kid. I just think we should keep it in the back of our minds and just like really take it back a notch on what exactly what we're sharing and like break it down and kind of put yourself in those shoes at like 18 years old. If you yeah. figured out that was happening to you. Yeah, uh, totally. And I remember like, you know, being in middle school, high school, um, we obviously both of us grew up like really far away from extended family. So my mom was one of those Facebook moms loved posting on Facebook. And I remember being like, I don't really want you posting that photo. Can you untag me? And my mom would get upset because she was like, I want to show like, I want to show you your soccer photos off or something like that. And I was like, yeah, but it's like a bad photo of me. And in her brain, she was like, I want to share because I'm proud of you. And on Facebook, it was mostly like our family that lived really far away. And that was important to her. And it was interesting because for her, sharing was literally sharing to like that group of people. Um, and for me, sharing almost felt like I was like, that's embarrassing. Um, if there was like a photo that I didn't think was very flattering or just a photo that I wasn't like feeling like if I wasn't confident that day. I even talked to my mom about this today because I'm like, this is so interesting. And now I could care absolutely less than my mom posts about me or of me on social media. I'm like, mom, whatever. Like, I- I'm talk on this podcast. Um once a week and if somebody wanted to get a bad photo of me easy screenshot <laughs> so i'm okay with it now but as a kid i'm like you know what that's like i don't know it's just it definitely does um put something in your mind and 
how my mom sees social media, even to this day, versus how I do, and not just my mom, but that generation is completely different than how we see social media. So it's going to be interesting seeing more and more of our our um, peers have children and how they approach that. And I do think, um, I don't think, first off, I've necessarily had thoughts on posting about my own children or pregnancy for very long, just because I haven't had that many friends yet that have had kids until literally this year. Um, I'm almost 25. And I think this is like the age where I had a few partners that got married right out of, um, excuse me, a few friends that got married, for example, right out of college. Some people that have just been dating their partners for a really long time and decided like, this is like, we we have stable jobs now. Um, so it feels like a natural progression for some of my friends to start having kids, which is so crazy to even think about because I don't feel that old yet. And now I'm, it's just starting to sink in like, oh my gosh, like this isn't like, it's not like when your friend calls you and says that they're pregnant, my initial reaction is that, oh my gosh, like I'm, I'm so sorry. It's, <laughs> yeah. I, I have to be like, I'm so happy like, for you. Like, what are you, you going to do? <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like, oh my gosh, like, what, oh, yeah. was it planned? It's like, uh, yeah. Mean? And like, that's funny because like when I told my friends, yeah. like it was mixed, it was kind of like, is this a celebration or yeah. do we need to figure out a game plan? Yeah. And honestly, like it is, it's hard. Like it, you don't know really like what to say. Um, but I think that's a good response to be like, okay, what's the plan, you know, to not really pressure them to like say yes to having it because they feel like they have to or, you know, so I personally, I think it's a really thoughtful response to just say like, what's the plan? Oh my gosh. You know, like don't sound negative nor like overtly positive because you really don't know what your friend's like thinking and they... Mm -hmm. They're obviously telling you partially to get some of like feedback. Yeah. Some Let's feedback. See what you, you know, what you're feeling. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely, it's interesting. I, um, I think like part of me was like, Oh, I don't know if I really want to share my, um, kid on the internet because I see how much comments that like will get comments on the podcast and most, almost all of them are sweet, but like one every, you know, like blue moon, I'll get like a really creepy one or one that like doesn't like sit well with me. And I'm like, Oh, like I don't like that. And I don't want my kid to ever be exposed even if it's one comment out of you know a blue moon to be exposed to that but then now that i'm seeing um it, on the other hand of that with pregnancy i saw after hearing like the experience of nicole just on twitter not even like talking to her every day and just seeing what she's posting i'm like this is so informative and i think mm-hmm. being pregnant and like that entire portion of life is severely under taught now and really 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 outdated because the fact I have three siblings younger than me, I mm-hmm. and one of them is six years younger than me. So I was like very aware when my mom was pregnant, when I had baby, you know, babies were all over my house growing up. Um, I nannied forever. And still like that, that era of being pregnant, like I just didn't know that much about. And I was like, you know what, out, out of anybody, it feels like I should have like known some of the stuff that she was putting on the Internet. And I think with like this generation of oversharing, that's one of the benefits. It's like yeah. I am getting educated on this giant topic that like i said i had no idea trimesters weren't equal like periods yeah of time. Like, i didn't know that either like that's <laughs> i was so confused i was like wait why is this not the same right? amount yeah no and i i honestly would i most of the stuff like everything through my whole pregnancy was like brand new to me and then yeah. like i would meet other women who knew like certain things that i didn't and i'd be like how did you know that you know yeah. i'd be like where did you learn this but most of them are foreign. So yeah. 
I wonder if it's like our education system, really, because honestly, all I remember like in school was them forcing us to watch that video of a lady giving birth and like seeing her like huge like bush and then a baby pop out and that that was like it. Like, like, oh, my God. Yeah. It's like, what if they actually broke down like each trimester and talked about like, you know, things that could happen during pregnancy, like there's death that could happen. You could mm-hmm. have like, you may have to get a, a C-section. They don't teach you about the differences between like a natural birth and the effects of like using an epidural versus like natural. Like I got an epidural and I swear to God, it felt like someone like shot me up with like meth for like five days straight. Like I, I was literally a zombie. Like mm-hmm. I didn't know who I was or where I was, but I had like a brand new baby in my arms and I was like, what's going on like i had no idea how to function but it doesn't matter because i had a brand new human and i had to just figure it out and like go on autopilot and just make sure my human survives so (laughs) there's there's a lot that goes down in a pregnancy and i i just hope i hope the education gets a lot better and yeah yeah, like you said that's the one benefit that will come from it yeah i definitely um i'm excited to continue to see more of my friends like enter different stages of life and um i'm not married yet have no plans on being uh, a parent anytime soon so those are two stages that i've kind of like sat by and like watched from the sidelines and it's been really cool um and i am excited to keep seeing you be a mom i think it's really really awesome thank you do you think you want to have a big family like you were from a big family or i used to I don't know because I used to be like I don't want kids because I was like I had kids around me all the time and I was like oh my gosh like no and I'm like oh my god yes I want I'm pretty (laughs) sure I want kids I don't know if I want as big as a family because we were Mm -hmm. you and I were both blessed with being able to travel um a ton as kids because of the nature of our parents jobs um and I do understand that it's extremely expensive if your parents are not um you know in the in the military like ours were I remember like we would go to Italy for example and stay at like campgrounds um and literally drive from Germany to Italy in a church van and um those were like some of my happiest memories as a kid but like if you're going to italy from the united states with a family you know of like six that's that's a little bit more of a hike um yeah so we'll see it's like a nightmare family. honestly yeah. so we'll it's just the- not as easy and that's yeah. just not a really normal thing i've realized too for us is like saying like oh yeah like i I've been to like 30 plus countries before like the age of 21. Like you guys haven't left the US. Like it's just so like mind bottling to me, but that's just how it was being like a military kid. So I'm definitely blessed and definitely grateful for that that experience. Well, excited to see Suki travel the the world. Oh yeah, she'll be a world traveler. Right? (laughs) She kind of already is. And if people wanted to find you, um, where can they find you on social media? Uh, you can find me on TikTok and Instagram and YouTube at Summer Rachel Warren. Amazing. Well, looking forward to that. And hopefully, um, I know you have a podcast. Are you thinking about bringing that back? Yeah, um, we're we'll we're see. in the works. Yeah. Okay. Um, Say Some podcast. It's on Spotify and Apple. Feel free to check that Ooh, out. Awesome. Yeah, and hopefully I'll have you on the next episode. Yeah. Let's hope. <laughs> All right. Bye, Summer. Bye. All right, everybody. Thanks for watching. Thanks for watching. Stay tuned for Sunday. We've got more VC Sunday School. So relevant to the markets. So interesting. This job just gets cooler and cooler. And a very interesting and all too relevant this week in Climate Startups interview. 
yeah, we're going to talk about capital calls and how that impacts not only LPs and the GPs and the VCs, but also how it affects your startup. It's essential listening for any founder out there. Yeah, it really is. All right. See you then. Bye-bye.